0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. You turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Thank you for singing out. Uh, That's just another example of how people are convinced of all if we're singing like that. I appreciate it. Hebrews 3. All right, we'll be Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 7. And if this text sounds familiar to you, uh, Brother Chad, a a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, preached on encouragement. And uh, I was actually planning to preach this text either that following Sunday or maybe the Sunday even before that, and I thought, well, he covered it very well, and, uh, and yet I, uh, I couldn't get away from preaching it again. So obviously the Lord knows that we need something out of this text, and uh, I, so I think that hopefully we'll, we'll uh, tag team it and... And if you missed it the first time, maybe you'll get it this time. And I'm, again, not saying that I have anything to improve on what Brother Chad did. And, uh, but just thinking this is what the Lord wants us to look at tonight. Hebrews 3, we'll begin reading in verse 7. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved to me, and saw my works 40 years wherefore i was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways so i swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest take heed brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living god but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that verse 13 really is our focus, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And it's a very simple concept tonight, really. It's just how to prevent hard hearts. Because we, if the children of Israel following a cloud and a pillar we're prone to a hardened heart, then who are we to think that we're not prone to the same thing? And we've got to be careful that we not just watch out for ourselves, but that we help each other prevent a hard heart. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I saw a video a few. I guess it was probably maybe the first time I saw it, it may have been last year sometime, but it was a video of a Uh, It was just one of those headlines you read uh, about a marathon runner, and her name was Chandler Self. She's a New York City psychiatrist. She was running in a marathon in the Dallas area, and uh, she really began to struggle in the last half mile or so. And if you've seen the video, you see her legs get really wobbly. She can just barely stand and... And uh, she starts to fall, and she's really struggling. Her legs give out. She ends up on the ground. She'll, she would try to stand then and run a little bit further. She'd get a few feet, and then she would tumble right back to the ground. And along then came a high school girl named Ariana, and that's the only name that I saw for her. She was running in the same course, but a different race. She was running a relay marathon, meaning that her and, an, and a group of people were running it together, and they would each take a certain amount of, of the race, a certain length of the race, and uh, then they would, they would tag somebody else and pass it along, and then someone else would then run the next leg of the race. And so she had run much, a much shorter distance as a high school girl, and so she was much fresher. She was running at the same place as this, uh, the lady Chandler self, who actually in the moment was in the lead, and really, she won the race, Chandler Self, this, this uh, New York City psychiatrist, won the race, but the last half mile, she's by herself, and she was not looking like she was going to make it. So this young high school girl named Ariana, uh, she very selflessly stopped to help Chandler get up and eventually then help her across the finish line. It was a very moving video, one of those videos that you kind of need to see every once in a while that there's still some good in this world when it seems like there's not much out there beyond selfishness. It was interesting, though, because at times, Miss Self was crawling. She was on the ground. At other times, she was half-standing, and at other times, she was leaning completely on Ariana just to take a step. And it stood out to me because, um, though I don't identify myself as a runner there, I have run a few longer races and it's amazing how helpful someone else can be to you when you don't think you can take another step. You ever been there physically where you've do, you're doing something and you just don't think that you can go any farther and all it takes is somebody else and it's not even somebody physically helping you but somebody that will just emotionally help you, will emotionally be there to support you. If you've worked out or you've run long distances, you know Um, especially for someone like myself running is not my favorite thing and I need some help to cross the finish line I remember the first time I ran uh, what I would consider a long race called the Tulsa run it's a hundred yard dash no just kidding it's a a 15 kilometer race which is a little over nine miles and after I ran it I thought I could drive that a lot easier but you know since it was my first race experience, my wife and I, I think, I don't know that she ran that when this was one of the first times that I had ever done it, but one of the things that stood out to me as you run a long race is that at every kilometer marker, there's a sign and there's a person usually very often standing there shouting out the time or there's a clock there, but usually there's somebody there letting you know the progress that you're making and, and that could be discouraging, But in my mind, it was helping me know that, okay, I've crossed another kilometer mark. And that means that every kilometer mark I see, that's one less kilometer I have till I finish this race. Another thing that really helped along the way is that uh, in, in different places along the race path, there were people cheering and holding signs and signs of encouragement. You know, you can do this. You can, you know, take, you can, you can finish, finish strong. I mean, things like that. And holding up signs telling you you can do this, encouraging you, even cheering for you and these people you don't even know. I mean, I, I found it, I know some people might think that's a small thing, but when you're in a race, it sure can't help you finish. It gave me hope that I could finish the race. You know, without hope of an end, it's hard to finish something difficult. The book of Hebrews, it was written to Jews going through something difficult, the readers here were Hebrews by blood and Christians by faith. So there was temptation to go back to Judaism because faith, their faith in Christ was being challenged. They were being persecuted. They were being drawn back to the old teachings of the law and the sacrifices. They had begun to doubt that Christ was better than Moses, and they likely were facing serious pressure. Many of them had been cast, probably been cast out of their families because of the decision to follow Christ. And they're probably, as they read this, thinking, if this is the life, li- the life Christ offers, who wants this? It wasn't easy. It was difficult. And so the writer of the book says, no matter what you face, essentially, this, the big summarizing thought is, remember that Christ is still better than anything else that you could turn to. Hebrews was written to convince the wavering Christians That Christ is simply still better. Kind of like a kilometer marker on a race. Or cheerers along the way. The message is, don't quit. And the writer, he uses the children of Israel in the wilderness to talk about difficulties. His message in the first six verses of this chapter is, as good of a leader as Moses is, he still is not as good as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is always better. Our only true hope to survive difficulties is Jesus Christ. And we have a lot of things that we try to turn to at times to help us get through it. But the only one with real, lasting, permanent answers is Jesus Christ. And you're going to hear a lot of different opinions about what can help you through the troubles and what can help you through the trials and the difficulties But it's not found in a medicine bottle. And it's not found in in some kind of a, a session with a professional. I mean, in the end, those things may be able to help to some degree. But what will help you the most is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is better than every other alternative out there. And we better turn to him for guidance because there's a tendency in difficult times to develop a hardened heart. That's the thought, the writer uses Moses and Israel then to make this point. And and I'm not going to go through every verse, but when Moses led the children of Israel in the wilderness, they provoked God to anger through their unbelief. The Bible calls these events the provocation. He says in verse 8, he says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Down to verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So there was this tendency in difficult times for God's people to provoke God. Time after time, the children of Israel provoked him by murmuring against him and refusing to have faith in his provision, refusing to follow the men that he had set up to lead them. And many of them, because of their provocation, they died in the wilderness and they're likely then They died and they could have likely gone to the promised land if they had continued in belief, if they had continued in faith, but their provocation forced them to die in the wilderness. This section was written as a warning then to the Hebrews saying, listen, the same tendencies found in your forefathers in the wilderness are likely to be found in you. And if you want to have a different ending than those wilderness wanderers. You better pay attention to your heart. Folks, it's with this in mind that verse 8 harden not your heart, and it's in the provocation and, and the other verses. The writer knew when things get hard, so do our hearts. When things get hard, our hearts get hard. And we've all faced some level of difficulty and hardship in recent days. This, this season, has been difficult, and you might say, well, you know, we've come through it just fine, and I was never really worried, I understand, Um, but the coronavirus and the political turmoil have taken a toll on many uh, uh, Christian spirits. It's been difficult, and if you've lost a job or if you've gone through financial hardship or you've gotten sick, I mean, it's hard. It's been difficult. The uncertainty, and I I don't know that it's as much even uh, what has actually happened as it is the uncertainty of what could happen. I mean, that's been difficult. We don't know what's happening. And I read last week that a third of Americans now show signs of clinical anxiety or depression due to the pandemic. A third of Americans. We have professionals here in, in this room that could probably speak to that, people that deal with those that are struggling. And, you know, I think about our church family. We have families right now struggling struggling uh, with things like their relationships and, and their finances and their their health even right now and discouragement. There's a lot of difficulties and when things get hard, so do our hearts. So the writer gives us some very practical help in order, in order to have the right response to difficulties because if we don't, we're at risk. We can't assume that our hearts are, are not touchable, that, that we won't be prone to hardened hearts when things get hard. And so we first see here there's an incorrect response to hardships and when that happens, that's where the hard heart begins. Look, down, look at verse seven. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts Is in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. The children of Israel provoked, there's so much more we could look into. I'm gonna try to keep it simple, but the children of Israel provoked and tempted God in the wilderness when things didn't go their way we don't, I don't have to read it or tell you we could go to Exodus and, and see when they didn't have water, their, their thought or their process was not, uh, okay, God, please send us some water. No, their thought process was there's no water. We want to go back to Egypt. When they didn't have food or they didn't have enough food, they would say, we want the food we had in Egypt. And I don't understand that because they're talking about leeks and onions and garlic. Like, what is how, That doesn't sound very good. When they didn't like Moses was doing, their leader. What did they say? God brought us out here to die. Like they weren't talking about God's provision. They were complaining the whole time, and this critical spirit crept into them, and it created in them a hardened heart, which had devastating results. And we could read in verses seven and eight how he God says today, if ye, if ye will hear His voice, I mean there was a there was a a question in God's mind if that, whether or not they would even listen to what God was telling, telling them. Uh, he said, if you will hear my voice, it made them insensitive to God's leading. You know, a hardened heart won't be moved by God's word. It won't be moved by the Holy Spirit's prompting. And the longer we ignore a hard heart, the less sensitive we become to it. Have you ever gotten to that place in your life where you, your heart grew so hard that even in preaching, you didn't really care what the Bible had to say? And even when the Holy Spirit would prompt you to do something, you didn't really respond. You didn't care. You didn't listen. Have you ever dealt with somebody that was so hardened to you that you could give them logic and you could give them reasons and you could give them a good, solid argument, but they didn't care at all. They just ignored you. Well, that's what's happening when we have a hardened heart. We grow insensitive to God's leading. Look down in verse 10. It also made Israel complacent his blessings, look down at verse 10. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and have not known my ways. My question is, how could they not know God's ways? They're wandering through the wilderness, and there's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, they can see him moving. They can see him, his presence, the results of his presence working. He's providing quail. He's providing manna. He's making their clothes and their shoes remain intact for years and years on end. And yet they did not see or know his works. That means what, what I take that to mean is that they, they were complacent toward his blessings. A hardened heart will make you insensitive to God's leading. It will also make you complacent to his blessings. In other words, you get so used to something being really good that you no longer even are thankful for it. They how can you not know his works when he's leading you through the wilderness? And we say, I can't believe that they had grown so cold to the blessings and mercy of God. I, I can't believe that for 40 years they could follow God and still not know his works. But my question is, what what blessings? Have we grown callous too? When you think about the fact that you've been saved by the grace of God, how is it possible that we could experience that and yet say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm saved. Been saved for a while now. See, we're no better than the children of Israel. A hardened heart will make us complacent to God's blessings. We grow callous to the fact and used to the thought that God has blessed us. I mean, woe unto us that we get to that place. That's what a hardened heart will do. It'll make us insensitive, it'll make us complacent, and it'll also, it'll make us unbelievers. And I'm not saying that it will cause us to lose our salvation, but we could easily lose our faith. Look down at verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And you might say, well, you know, I, would, I could never be an unbeliever because I'm saved. And yet, what does he say? He says, take heed, brethren, He's talking to save people. He's talking to the family of God. And he says, take heed, brethren, because it could be that in some of you that you have an an evil heart of unbelief, that you've departed from the living God, that your faith has grown vacant. I mean, look down at verse 19, because of this lack of faith, it says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. A hard heart affected their faith. You know, you want to guarantee that you lose your faith? Let your heart stay hard. Have a hard heart and grow insensitive to God's leading and complacent to God's blessings and then unbelieving in your faith. And many of those that died in the wilderness, they did so because they had a hardened heart of unbelief. And they never got to enter into the promised land. And you know what the promised land represents? It represents the abundant Christian life. Listen, this, this passage makes me never want to have a hardened heart because that means I'd miss out on the life that God wants me to live as a Christian. You know, what's scary is that verse 12 indicates that someone can have a hard heart and not even know it. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in you already. He says, take heed, brethren, because right in you right now there could be an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, and you may not even know it. And I'm looking around the room today and I'm asking you to ask yourself, could it be that you have a hardened heart and you don't even know it? Could it be that your heart is hard toward God's blessings and God's word and his leading? And, and maybe you've grown in some ways, you've become an unbeliever in that your faith is not leading you anymore. You're not living by faith. You've departed from the living God. Well, if that's the case, then let me show you God's response to a hardened heart. So... Our response, an incorrect response to hardship creates a hardened heart. But God has also has a response to our hardened hearts. Look at verse 10. It says, wherefore, I was grieved with that generation. See, God's grieved by a hardened heart. Grief means a burden. It means that he it vexes him. It displeases him. And I want you to think about maybe a, a parent-child relationship. And there were times in my, in my younger years as a teenager, and I didn't always do things right with my parents. I mean, I, I, I rebelled in my heart. I was, grew up in a, a, church, a church home. My dad's a pastor. But in my heart, I let things get to where they shouldn't be, mostly on the inside at times. And I remember when I would make a poor decision um, that I honestly, the worst feeling that I ever had after getting in trouble was not the punishment that I received, but the fact that my parents were so grieved by what I had done. And I do believe that my parents raised me in such a way that I loved them to such a degree that I, although I wasn't perfect, but what bothered me the most was that my parents were grieved by my actions, and I would hurt them with my actions. And I think about, I look, look around here and I've got a lot of children in the room and you, you're still under your parents' authority. And I'm talking, I mean, all the way down, you don't have to be very old to get this. But kids, you should love your parents enough that you do what's right, not because you don't want to get in trouble, but because you don't want to put grief on the shoulders of your parents. You should love them so much that you say, it's not about not getting in trouble. It's the fact that I love my dad so much that I don't want to see the disappointment in his face. I love my mom so much that I don't want to keep her awake at night because she's grieved over the things that I have done. And kids, that should be a a large motivator for you to do what's right as long as you live in your parents' house. And not just as long as you live in your parents' house. Honestly, it still goes through my mind a lot. My parents are godly people. And as a 40-something-year-old person, 42-year-old person, my wife always reminds me. She always knows. Always watching. As a 42-year-old man, can I be honest with you, it would bother me immensely if I still if I grieved my parents with my actions. Because I love them. And the children of Israel got to the place, kids, they got to the place where they could not have cared less about what they did to, gr- to grieve God in that day of provocation. And he judged them with severity. He made an oath in verse 11. It says, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest God made an oath. You could read it in the book of Numbers. And he said, They will not enter the promised land. They will not go into the place that I designed them to be because of their heart of unbelief. Listen, if you have a hard heart, God's wrath is working against you, and you will never become the Christian you're supposed to be. I mean, none of us want that. So that's what's at stake. So, what's the plan? How do we prevent a hardened heart? Well, verses 12 and 13, take heed, brethren. He starts with, look up in verse 1 of the same chapter. Again, wherefore, holy brethren. He's calling them brethren. He's saying they're holy brethren. These are, these are God's people, God's family. And if we need to realize the first step that we must take in preventing a hardened heart is realize that we are prone to a hardened heart. You don't have to be unsaved. You don't have to be away from God uh, and living a, a, a in riot, riotous living. You don't have to be doing something evil and wicked on the outside. You as brethren, you could be called holy brethren, holy sisters. You are just as susceptible or maybe even more susceptible to a hardened heart than anybody else. It is the brethren, the members of God's family that are susceptible to the hardened heart. That's the first step is that you are not above this and I'm not above this. So the next part, then verse 13 says, here's the plan. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the plan. He gives them a what, he gives them a who, he gives them a how, and he gives them a why. Here's the plan, folks, to to prevent a hardened heart. Here's the what. Exhort. Exhort. You know what that word means? It means to urge someone to pursue some course of conduct. You know, when I was running that race and I thought I was going to die at mile one. And I saw it came around a corner and somebody had a sign and it might as well have said, you can do this, Jason Jet." It didn't. I didn't know the people, but I was taking it that personally. And they were saying, you can do this. And I helped me to keep going. You know what they were doing? They were urging me to pursue some course of conduct. They were exhorting me. That's what the word means. It's like these cheerers during the half marathon or during that nine mile race and they're saying you can do this. And folks, that's what a church family should be doing for each other. We should be helping each other to, to pursue this, this course of conduct that we're on because it's not easy. And it's not easy to follow God in this world. It's not easy to live like a Christian in our workplaces. It's not easy, kids, to be the right kind of person at school. It's not easy to do what we're supposed to do. And we need to cheer each other on. And yet a lot of churches, you get into going to the church, and you realize there's not a lot of cheering going on. There's a lot of tearing down going on. And I'm not saying that happens here, and I'm thankful I'm thankful Eastside Baptist Church is not one of those kind of churches. But listen, if there's churches out there like that that used to be like us, that means that we are just as prone as they are and we have to be careful not to become that kind of church. We're supposed to exhort and cheer each other on to pursue some course of conduct. So that's the what. Here's the, the, the second part is the who, one another. We're to exhort One another. You know, accountability is so underestimated these days. I don't think we realize how important it is to know. I mean, when I was training uh, for the half marathon that we ran, uh, there were plenty of mornings that we would get up about 5 o'clock and drive to the lake where we ran. And honestly, the only reason I got out of bed some mornings is because we were meeting another, another guy that, that was training with us, and I didn't want him to have to be out there that early and run by himself. You know, sometimes it makes a difference just to be accountable. To know that somebody is gonna be there with you and it helps you to stay the course. And that's, it says one another, that face-to-face accountability. Listen, I loved the fact that technology allowed us to have services online. But it wasn't the same. And if we have to go back to it at some point, we'll do it and we'll, we'll do it the best that we can. But listen, it's not the same to look into somebody's eyes and encourage them and exhort them and cheer them on and be a blessing to them. We need that. We were made in God's image. And if you study what fellowship, uh, the fellowship that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have in heaven, there's a face to face relationship. As the Trinity, I mean, we're designed to have fellowship face to face with each other. So the the what is exhort, the who is one another, the how is daily. Our relationships ought to be such that we are daily aware of each other. We ought to be so connected, connected enough that we know how to encourage other encourage each other tomorrow. You ought to know what your, what your friends and what your fellow church members are going through. And I'm thankful for those that, that pray consistently and have the prayer list and, and they're doing those kinds of things to encourage each other. We ought to know what we're going through and encourage each other, it says, daily. You know, and there's not ever been an easier time to exhort one another daily than right now. I mean, you can pull out your phone and you can text somebody just like that. It used to be that you'd have to write a letter. You know, or you'd have to send a carrier pigeon or use smoke signals or something. Now, I mean, it literally takes 10 seconds to exhort somebody daily. Here's the why. Because of the deceitfulness of sin. You know why we need this? Because sin, sin is tricky. And it can trick us so badly that we don't even know our hearts are hard. And sometimes we need somebody else to tell us. And we need to be willing to let somebody tell us. See, there's two sides to exhortation. There's the side of the exhorter and there's the side of the person that isn't so defensive that you can't tell them something. And you ought to be the one that says, listen, if they love me and they want to exhort me daily, they're doing this, it's a biblical thing for them to do. And I ought to be willing to hear whatever they have to say. And even if it's not accurate, and even if it's not all true, and even if they've misread the situation, there's a a little truth in every criticism. And we ought to be willing to be exposed to each other because nobody else cares about your spiritual life like the people in this room. Troubles and trials are hard. But the point of this passage is this. Daily exhortations prevent hardened hearts. Daily exhortations prevent hardened hearts. Our natural response to hardship is hardness. We get discouraged, we get defeated. If we're not careful, it turns to hardness. And how do we prevent it? Well, daily exhortations. Does it sound like a lot of work? Yeah, it can. It can be. Well, let me ask you this. Are people worth it if we can help a brother or sister prevent a hardened heart? Absolutely. So how do I exhort daily? Well, here's, I just listed four things. Brother Chad did this. He gave us so much practical help. I think it probably starts with prayer. You know, it's amazing how much more sensitive I am to the needs of other people when I'm praying for them. Let's pray for each other. And in praying for each other, ask God to reveal to us how we can encourage each other. Because, I don't know, this is incredible, some of my closest friends, it's amazing how when I'm the most discouraged, that's usually when I get the most phone calls from the friends that I have. And I don't know how the Lord does it, I don't know, I don't know why, and I'm not sure how he operates that way. And when I say closest friends, I mean close friends in the ministry, men that I've known for a long period of time, and we're just, they're just sensitive. And I don't know how, because they haven't seen me in months, And yet very often when I'm the most discouraged, I'll get a call from somebody I haven't seen in months and they'll call me at just the right time. We we need to ask God to reveal to us how we encourage, how we should encourage each other. And prayer, it all starts with prayer. But I also think that we need to spend time contacting each other. I mean, with a phone call, I mean, nobody likes to call anybody on the phone anymore, it seems like but sending a note or sending a text or sending a gift to those in need. I was just in my office today and I was thinking about the encouragement people give me. And I mean, these are just in the last few weeks from, from different people in the church. And, you know, and they're not just saying, praying for you, pastor. They're not just saying, I uh, hope things are going well and that you're doing well. I mean, they're writing notes and they're 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 giving me something to think about and chew on <laughs> and they're giving me thank you notes for something small that I did that wasn't even I'm um, really I mean it wasn't anything that cost me much and i think about the fact how many days i've gone into my office and i'm feeling a little discouraged about something because i mean as a pastor sometimes it's rapid fire and you feel like you're trying to put out fires every every phone call like, oh no, what's this one going to be about? And there are days where I'm sitting in my office and I have a stack of notes and I just pull them out just to remind me that, you know what, people, uh, there are people out there praying for me and they love me. And I didn't bring my phone in here just because I try not to make a habit of bringing my phone in here, but I could go through and show you text after text after text of people that just out of the blue say, pastor, I'm praying for you today. Is there anything I can do for you? Or that message, was great, and I, it helped to me. Thank you very much for it. I'm telling you, those, they mean the world to me. And if they mean that, the world to you, then they could mean the world to somebody else from you. So prayer and contact and time, just taking somebody to eat or take them for coffee or spend time with, I'm telling you, somebody that spends time with time with my kids and invests in my kids means the world to me. You know, I could, I mean, there's a long list of people. I don't, I don't, we have people and men in our church who love my son. And they bring him Legos. I mean, please, no, no more landmines in his room. It's like stepping on a pine cone in the middle of the night. But Jace loves Legos and I'm thankful That there are people in our church that love him, not just men. We're thankful for the ladies that that give my kids gifts on their birthday. It was Lacey's birthday this past week, and the people in the church that gave her birthday gifts. I mean, it means the world to us. That somebody would love our kids. I'm telling you, it, it means a lot. Time spent and money spent and thoughtfulness, it doesn't go unnoticed. I mean, remember the important days and the birthdays and the anniversaries and gifts or things they like. Listen, we could do a lot more of daily exhortation to prevent hardness. And I wonder how many Christians quit their race before they should because no one took time to pray or no one took time to contact or no one took time to just reach out. I know that we have people that, are, that have been involved or, or connected with Eastside Baptist Church for, for a long time, and they're on the verge of no longer being connected to Eastside Baptist Church because they don't feel connected. And it could be that God is prompting you to reach out, and you might be the one that helps them keep the strings attached. In a race, there are usually aid stations along the way. They were lifesavers. For somebody like me, they provide drinks or first aid or... You know, you don't want to skip those in a long race. You need the water. Or you need the Gatorade. You, you need the strength to make it the next kilometer. But listen, the Christian race is long. In this race, I truly believe the local church is like an exhortation station. And as we run along, we want to get to the finish line. But if we don't have some help along the way, we're not going to get there. We think we maybe don't need the kind of help that, that we really do, but according to Hebrews 3, the difficulty of the race can harden our hearts and we don't even know we need it. We need somebody who's willing to encourage and exhort us along the way. Folks, there's two real primary applications. and Number one is assume you need the exhortation. Assume, assume that, you're the, that you're one of the ones in need because the ones that don't think they need it, they're probably, they probably have the hardest hearts. God knew you'd be part of this church family. And you're not here on accident, you're here on purpose. Don't miss the encouragement that you need because you think you've got it handled. When choosing who to spend time around, gravitate toward those that draw you closer to the Lord, not take you further away from Him. So the first is assume you need the exhortation, but two, assume God can use you for exhortation. See, you might be the key to somebody in this room finishing their race. You might be one of those people at mile marker seven, two miles to go in a 15K. You might be the person at mile marker seven with the sign holding up said, you can finish. You can do this. I'm here with you. You might be the difference between a quitter and somebody who finishes. So who is it right now? Think. Who is it that the Lord is prompting you about that you are supposed to encourage? Don't ignore that prompting when it comes because you might be the difference maker in their life. Now think back to that marathon video and it was interesting to watch the runner that that needed the help. At one point, her legs got real wobbly. I mean, just like a toddler trying trying to take their first steps. Another point, she was on the ground crawling. At a different time, she was walking and having her arm held. At another time, she was afraid of being disqualified for getting help, so she almost pushed the help away because she didn't want the help. Her face was in agony, but she finished thanks to help. And the point is today that we have to be ready to help each other wherever we are. Wherever that person is, if they're on the ground, then you be a help to them. If they're standing with wobbly feet, wobbly legs, then you be a help to them. If it's a fallen brother or sister, if it's somebody whose strength is gone, if it's somebody who doesn't even think they need help and they're pushing it away. You know, sometimes the help comes in a form of prayer. Sometimes we just, all we can do is pray. But sometimes we talk. And sometimes we get a little preachy and that's okay. At other times we simply listen but we are always right by each other's side. And whatever they need that's what we are. Every day brings new struggles but we're told to exhort daily because daily exhortation prevents hard hearts. That's God's plan to prevent hardness. So, Who do you need to let encourage you? And who is the Lord prompting you to exhort right now? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.